Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have Terrence Williams with me, who is the CMO of Nationwide Enterprise, as well as the president of Emerging Businesses. Terrence, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. And I'm so excited you could join me today. I thought perhaps maybe we could kick off right away with having you define what your roles are, because they sound like two very different roles, and yet they come together very well. Yes, I would agree. I sometimes think of it as two different roles, but uh, let me walk you through it and you'll understand how they fit together. Uh, So about three years ago, I became the CMO at Nationwide and the CMO in the traditional sense. So responsibility for the brand, for the advertising, uh, public relations, communications, uh, insights and analytics, all of the traditional areas that report up to the lead marketer in an enterprise. Uh, About a year ago, my CEO began chatting with me about expanding my role. And the the purpose of expanding the role was really to react to a a business uh, issue that we are facing uh, within the insurance and financial services category. And like many in our space, Nationwide is a 90 plus year old company who's been around for quite a while and has the luxury of having a strong, well-recognized brand. But we also recognize that there are a number of startup organizations, uh, fintechs and suretechs, who are are looking to disrupt what we do, who are identifying pain points, uh, issues around the customer journey, and looking to capitalize on that. So our perspective is pretty straightforward and simple. It's, hey, let's bring together some of the niche businesses that already exist at Nationwide and figure out how we can help get them to scale. But let's also launch a full-blown enterprise-wide innovation effort uh, that that I would have accountability for. And that effort would really have the responsibility of laying the framework for how Nationwide would begin preparing for tomorrow today. So finding ways to engage with consumers, to understand pain points, how do we create new solutions, new products, new distribution points, uh, everything around the future, but really creating a a, a concerted focus around that. So that's more or less my job. That's a 
big job that you have (laughs) (laughs) with a lot of excitement rolled in there. And um, speaking of exciting stories, I hear you have a funny one about how you actually got into the insurance business altogether. Right. I I do. Um, It's interesting because I always, when I'm standing up in front of associates, I always say there are a couple of weird things about me. And one of them (laughs) is that I I planned to work in the insurance industry. So my undergraduate degree is in insurance. Uh, I have a, a degree in insurance from the University of South Carolina. And I actually selected that school because back then, many, many moons ago, when I was an 18-year-old, uh, there were only a few schools that had insurance programs. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that, uh, that I attended there. But how I you know, got into the space to decide that insurance is something that I have an interest in, um, weirdly enough, I have a number of relatives in the industry. Uh, my sister used to be in the industry. I have a couple of cousins that are um, large state farm agents in South Carolina today to this day. But the person that probably influenced me the most is an aunt. Uh, I had an aunt who is now passed, but she actually joined the insurance industry with AIG, uh, literally right out of college. Uh, she went to school in South Carolina, got a job with AIG, moved to New York and was lived in New York for all of her life, was with them for 35 plus years and became one of the first female African-American officers within that organization. So she had a pretty significant influence on me that really allowed uh, just exposure so that I really could understand all of the the breadth within the insurance industry. So many people, when they hear insurance, they think sales or maybe they'll think claims. But I had an understanding of there's so many different facets to the insurance industry. Uh, so it kind of sparked my interest when I was probably, I wasn't, I wasn't a kid, but I was probably 16, 17, somewhere in that ballpark when I began thinking about insurance as a career. Okay. So Terrence, I have to admit, I've, I have never heard of an insurance degree. So this is new news to me. And I'm really impressed with how passionate you are about insurance. Were you always in the marketing capacity when you got into this field or did you I think I heard a rumor that you started in sales, maybe. Yeah, I'm very much what I, I describe myself as the non-traditional CMO, uh, because like like many of unlike many of my peers, I didn't grow up in marketing. Um, I actually grew up uh, in rotating in various parts of the business. Uh, so yes, I've worked in sales, uh, I've worked in claims, in underwriting, and operations. I've been a regional executive in various parts of the country, um, leading geographies. So definitely a, um, a non-traditional path to the CMO chair. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's very interesting. Um, what was that pivotal moment when you moved into marketing? Like what made you say, hey, I want to be in marketing or did it just sort of happen organically? It, it, I would say that it happened more organically in that, you know, my, my boss, the CEO, actually called me into his office one day when I was here in town for a meeting because I wasn't even living in Columbus at the time. Uh, but I was here in town for a meeting and he called me in and said, hey, um, uh, from a succession standpoint, uh, we'd like you to move into the CMO role. Caught me off guard. And his perspective was this. We have a very strong marketing organization at Nationwide who's done some really cool things. Uh, and what he was more um, uh, in need of, what he really wanted in the role at that time was someone who understood the culture at Nationwide, someone who understands the business side of things at Nationwide, and someone who could really see things through the lens of a P&L. Uh, since most of my career was spent kind of driving and owning a P&L, uh, I bring a different perspective to the table. I see things through a different lens than some, and that's what my boss was interested in. 
Okay. That's great. You just touched on a couple of topics that I love and I'm, I'm particularly passionate uh, around the, the topic of culture. I want to come back to that one though, because I want to touch Definitely. on what you just said, which was the P&L responsibility. Mm-hmm. What a hot topic right now as it relates yes. to the role of the CMO. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how you've been able to take your background and maybe either apply it or shape or morph mm-hmm. the current marketing practices? Definitely. Um, you know, when you're, you know, I've spent a couple of different times as what we would call a regional vice president. So you have accountability for a given geography and, and everything in that marketplace reports to you, claim sales, underwriting, et cetera. And you're genuinely charged with driving the P&L in that marketplace. When one has that responsibility, they literally uh, understand and look at everything flowing through their loss statement. So every dollar I spend, I would need to understand how does that really connect with our overarching goals in this regional operation or in this subsidiary, uh, et cetera. So because of that, when I came to marketing, again, talented group of leaders uh, already doing a tremendous output from a creative standpoint, from a work standpoint. But I think one of the things that I've been able to bring to the table is a, a renewed focus around the discipline from a return standpoint. So one of the things that my leaders and I chat about regularly is understanding how we can create linkage to the work that we're doing and the results that it's producing for the organization. Really coming to the table with a, a, a solid um, ROI or a solid business case to make sure that the dollars that we're spending, we understand what we expect to get as a result of that. And um, while many CMOs are bringing that to the table today, I think that because of how I grew up within the company, uh, it's a natural lens that I see things through. Interesting. And, and how's that been from an adoption standpoint uh, across your team? Has there, did you need to do some training? Um, are you coaching? Like, how are you getting everybody to adopt this mindset so they can more easily put the ROI mm-hmm. estimate against their initiatives? It's uh, yes to all of the above, everything you just said. Uh, there's been a lot, of, um, a lot of coaching, a lot of dialogue, a lot of training, a lot of discussions around the importance of what we do and how critical it is to the su- success of the organization, but also understanding that everything we do, uh, every dollar we spend, you know, there's some degree of, of impact from that dollar. Uh, from an expense, from a cost standpoint. So how do I link the return to that? How do I ensure that that what we're doing is driving something tangible back to the organization? And granted, with everything we do, that's not as, as easy as said. But what I've tried to do is instill a level of discipline within the organization so that, that those are the types of questions we ask each other. Now, that's what we, we gravitate to that first um, as we're attempting to launch a new effort or a new campaign or a new piece. Um, and I think one of the things that, that I was able to do with the help of, of my leadership cabinet to really drive this through all parts of the organization is we, we installed, after I think it was here about six months or so, we installed what I called um, some operating principles uh, that we refer to as ACT, A-C-T. And it's an acronym that is meant to describe how we will go about doing the business of marketing at Nationwide. And the A is for alignment. We say that we want to ensure that everything we're doing is aligned to the core needs of the businesses that we support. 
Uh, the C is for collaboration. We want to ensure that we're working not only within marketing across boundaries, but also across all of the enterprise, uh, understanding that we made the move to one nationwide about four years ago, and that uh, what we need to do now from a marketing standpoint is ensure that we're collaborating across all parts of the organization to get the biggest bang for the buck. And the T is for transparency. Uh, everything that we're doing, we should be able to engage our business partners. We should be able to ensure that finance is at the table, that IT is at the table, so that it's truly a, um, a collaborative effort for everyone, as, op as opposed to just marketing, going away and creating something, and then coming back and unveiling it, so to speak. So we try to operate uh, with ACT as kind of the guiding principles of how we behave, how we get to our results. And we even give a uh, couple times a year, we give awards to leaders and frontline associates based on how they have lived into ACT. Okay. So, are, so those become part of the, I won't call them performance objectives, but potentially like evaluation criteria for uh, the way that they operate within the organization. That is correct. Um, actually, I would call it performance objectives because I ask each of my leaders as they're completing self-evaluations uh, on their performance at mid-year and at year-end, they give specific examples of how they've lived into ACT. Very cool. Okay. So this comes back to that first topic, culture. And we mm -hmm. always have heard culture eats strategy for breakfast. Absolutely. So how do you get the adoption beyond just the... Well, measuring is obviously a very important tactic for sure. ensuring compliance, but like how, what is the culture? How do you get that adoption from an emotional perspective? Definitely. Um, I think when you, when you talk about changing some of the things that we've done over the past several years, I believe that it really comes down to, to helping associates understand the why behind everything you're doing. And while that sounds simple and easy, uh, I think it's much easier said than done to ensure that you get the appropriate levels of buy-in from the front line. So there's several things that we do to accomplish that. Um, we ramped up our communication efforts in a pretty significant way by sending out uh, ongoing regular communications. We've crafted a scorecard for the organization so that everyone understands our performance and how what they do connects and links to it. Uh, I do monthly coffee chats. Uh, so I sit down with 12 or 15 frontline associates to no agenda, but just to talk about whatever is on their minds and give them the opportunity to ask questions of me. Uh, so we've done a number of things to create the, the understanding and to get the buy-in from frontline associates to ensure that uh, it's not simply a matter of, hey, you have to comply with this. You know, I wanted associates to understand where we were going, what we were doing, the role they played in it, and how they connected to the bigger picture, which, you know, in essence, what I'm describing is the essence of leadership. You know, leaders understand how to craft a vision, how to get associate buy-in, how to create linkage to what they do on a daily basis and how it connects to a more global destination uh, and how to ensure that they're recognizing and rewarding folks. So I would say that we have been able to execute on some of those elements of leadership to try to move the organization down the path that we're on now. That's fantastic. You know, you remind, you remind me of um, a podcast I just released with Mary Beach. Uh, she had me laughing so hard because um, in one of her performance reviews when she was at Disney, uh, and this is all in the podcast, so I'm not sure. sharing anything that isn't confidential. She right. said she got the feedback from everyone that they loved the fact that she could provide a clear vision and would be sure to execute. And everyone in the company would want her on a team, but everyone on the company said it would be a painful experience. 
So she said, what do you mean? I'm awesome. Uh, you know, <laughs> so there is an art to that. And she worked for about a year really trying to understand, okay, how can I be a better leader? Not just a, a, a vision setter, an executor. Right. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy around leadership and, and how you gain those skills along the way? Right. Right. You know, I, a couple of things. There are a couple of questions weaved into what you just said. Um, and I'll try to hit all of them. First, I think that I've been blessed and fortunate over the years and that I've had some incredible people that I've worked for and that I've been linked to from a networking, from a mentoring standpoint that have really guided and helped to kind of shape who I am today as a leader. So I, I look back on my experiences and that really has played a pretty significant role in shaping who I am now as a leader. What I try to do is I believe strongly in this whole, this whole concept of servant leadership that is often discussed but not always clearly understood. Uh, and I genuinely believe that, that everything I do as a leader, I should be doing it for the benefit of the team of people, the organization that I have the, the privilege of leading and working with. Uh, so it's not about me. It's not about um, what Terrence says, but it's about what's for the good of the organization. And what are the things that I can do to ensure that I'm promoting um, us as, a, as a, an area, as a marketing department, as an organization? And how do I ensure that, that what we're doing on a daily basis speaks to the vision that we've set forth together? So I think it just comes down to those kinds of things that I have kind of gleaned onto over the years from various people that I've worked with. Um, the other thing, one of the, one of the things that, that if you were to poll all of my direct reports, I'm pretty sure there were a few words that would be consistent. There were a few phrases that would be consistent as they would uh, talk about Terrence from a leader standpoint. One of the things I often say is that leadership transcends all. And, and I believe that statement um, to mean that if you're able to lead, if you genuinely can create followership, uh, if you're able to, to resonate and connect with people on an emotional level, I think it allows you to accomplish things that others can't. So I just believe strongly in the merits of, of being a strong leader and something that I, I focus on and something that I believe um, a leader should practice. Just like we go to the gym to try to uh, ensure that we're developing our biceps, I think that you have to develop your leadership muscle and you have to create a... Um, uh, a certain level of focus around how you're going to get better as a leader. And I don't know that we place enough focus around that uh, within some organizations. You know, I, I conduct a quarterly development session with all of my direct reports where they're not allowed to talk about tactical stuff. The purpose of that meeting is to talk about them from a developmental standpoint. What are you focused on? What progress have you made? How can I assist you? What roadblocks have you encountered? You know, what's working well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I just believe strongly in the merits of leadership. Well, you know, it's so funny, Terrence, when I'm talking to you, you have such a great voice. It's so soothing and you're so eloquent and I feel like everything's just going to be okay. And uh, <laughs> it's fabulous. Uh, so I have to take a step back. And now that you've wooed me here and ask you a tough question, because sure. there's got to be something there, right? <laughs> Tell me about a mistake. Tell me something that didn't go quite like you planned and that you're like, right. wow, I can learn from this. So let me turn it to you. Definitely. As a leader, if we don't have things we've done in the past that have allowed us to grow that we can learn from, uh, I'd say that you're, you're not doing the right thing. Um, many years ago in my career, um, when I was more, not in marketing, but when I was on the, uh, the technical side of things, uh, in claims to be specific, one of my beliefs was that 
I was always pretty effective and could do my job pretty well, you know, 27, eight years ago when I was a claims rep. So if when I became a claims manager, my belief was just do it the way I did it and you'll be successful. And what I learned rather quickly was that it's not enough to, to tell someone to do it the way I did it. What a leader does is a leader sets the destination. A leader helps to build the, the framework for what success looks like. Uh, a leader is very intentional in stating the intended outcome and then allowing someone to, uh, certain parameters to get to whatever that destination is. Uh, so like many, uh, as a young leader, I made, made mistakes around trying to impose my processes, my approach on things. And then I quickly learned after, you know, really bumping my head once or twice or four or five times that what's more important is to set the tone, to set the stage, to create the destination, and then give people the leeway to really operate. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, pretty interesting, me becoming the CMO and not growing up in marketing. Um, number one, I had a pretty strong team of leaders around me. But number two, my leadership approach is just, you know, setting that destination, but then allowing the people around you the parameters to to drive things forward. So that's, that's kind of how I operate. That's great. And speaking of destinations, there are a lot of things that are happening right now. And it sounds like you've got... Um, a lot of responsibility to set the destination for nationwide for the mm -hmm. future. Let's talk about marketing for a second, because I know that you have a lot of ideas on what the future will look like. Can you share a little bit about what you're thinking? Sure, sure. Uh, from, a, from a pure marketing standpoint, and this won't come as any earth shattering surprise to you. I'm sure you've heard some of these uh, dozens of times from other CMOs, but um, obviously our, the chair of CMO has evolved significantly over the past five to 10 years. And you think about it, this job has really only been in existence as a C-suite job for what, 30, 35 years or so. And within that time, the job has evolved significantly away from simply being the creative person, away from being just the um, person who only operates or thinks with one side of their brain, but now to someone who has accountability for using both sides of their brain, or at least ensuring that their team, they can hire to ensure that they compensate for that, uh, ensuring that you're able to measure the effectiveness of what you do in a meaningful way that allows you to get buy-in from your C-suite peers. Um, I believe it, it, it necessitates that you really understand your customer uh, in, a, in a genuine way that uh, really allows you to speak to them, to connect with them emotionally. Uh, you, know, you look at the, the current campaign that we have underway right now, Songs for All Your Sides, the intent of, of those spots, um, you know, using music, using uh, songs, and really kind of capitalizing on the value of our jingle. You know, our jingle's been around for 50 years. Everyone knows it. Everyone sings it. When I'm traveling through airports or when I'm in a store and someone sees a, uh, my lapel pin, they sing the jingle. But how do you take that and transform it into current day uh, using artists that really will help you to tell the story of who the nationwide of today is. Uh, so we think we have been able to do that and really connect with consumers, uh, consumers that are really within our targeted segments in particular, uh, and really connect with them at an emotional level. You see some of the vignettes that are in some of our current ads, and you see a father braiding a, uh, their small daughters here. Uh, you see a dad coming home with a kitten with one of their children surprising the mom at the door. Uh, you see a, a gentleman 
walking around a, a sports car, a Corvette, actually, uh, admiring the car and really contemplating, should I buy this? All of those vignettes are really carefully developed to ensure that we are connecting with what's on the minds of consumers in our targeted segment, um, creating memorable moments that really will connect with them in a manner that allows them to remember who we are, you know, because we, we have to cut through much of the clutter that's out there from a television standpoint and to find ways to align our messaging so that consumers not only are, are remembering who we are, but they're learning something new as well. Uh, because remember, it was only about four years ago that Nationwide went through a, a process where we eliminated all of our sub-brands and moved down this path of going to market as one single brand nationwide. So that required that we really reset the narrative of how American consumers view nationwide. You see us talking about things like pet insurance, banking, retirement. We're talking about things now in those spots that historically we didn't talk about many years ago. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do from a, an advertising standpoint. But uh, the last piece I would mention uh, and then give you a chance to jump back in is, is understanding how you can sell the value of your efforts to your peers. And I think that's an overlooked area that many CMOs bump their heads on. Um, but really ensuring that you're working in partnership with your business unit uh, partners to help them understand that you know the customer better than anyone else. And that knowledge will help turn what they're doing into sales. Um, turning it into sales using not only advertising, but just how you create the customer experience, how you understand the journey for customers when they come in through whichever, which regardless of which channel they come through. Those are all the things that I try to do to ensure that we're adding value uh, to our partners from a marketing standpoint. And it taps into that whole alignment piece that I talked about earlier. Oh, that's great. Okay. So I have to admit, I'm, I'm hung up on something you said and it's the funniest thing that anybody's actually said to me at this point, which is, sure. Dean, in just a moment, I'll allow you to jump back in. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I felt like I was rambling there, so I had to throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you, Terrence, for allowing me to jump back in. Um, no, that's fantastic. That, that just made me laugh. And that is a notable moment in this podcast history. So Excellent. you'll be the first and we'll always hold that title. Always so, looking for notable moments. So. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, let's come back to what you were talking about, though, actually, um, around the emotional connectivity, mm -hmm. because that's such a key topic. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking of a conversation I had just this morning about uh, the difference between product marketing and solution marketing. And right. those two terms are not new. They've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. but really what you're describing is solution marketing with a purpose, uh, with an emotional connectivity point. Mm -hmm. And as you go back to something you said even earlier, which is connecting back to the ROI, that also seems to be a, a challenging area right now for folks to associate emotional connectivity with ROI. How do you do that? Yeah, uh, it comes down to a few things. Uh, number one, it depends on the vehicles you're using from a channel standpoint, because obviously what I do on television is meant to connect in one way with the consumer. What I do through various digital channels is meant to kind of bring it down the funnel. Um, you know, you think about it this way. If you view the funnel from top, middle, bottom, and bottom is a sale and top is just awareness about your brand. 
everything that we do from a television standpoint is meant to really drive that the top of that funnel from an awareness standpoint. But you, so you have to have creative, in my view, that allows you to connect with that consumer so that they understand your brand, they know who you are. Uh, when they are have a need from a solution standpoint, they think of you because of some of the things that you've done at the top of the funnel. But you also have to ensure that you're able to personalize things with that consumer so that you can push content out to them in a digital format that specifically aligns with something they have a need for now. Um, and those pieces you obviously can measure pretty effectively, pretty easily around calls, clicks, uh, around video watches, and a host of other things that, that you're very familiar with. Um, so the journey that we've been on as a marketing organization is kind of connecting all of those together. Because uh, I would argue that, that some organizations have some level of disconnect between their top, mid, and lower funnel. And our goal has been to ensure that there's alignment and a connectivity between all of them so that we understand what we're doing on the lower end of the funnel, how it's driven by the top as well. And obviously, when you think about just some of the media mix shift that we've engaged in along with others, uh, some of the um, tools that we've developed to really help us understand how even our top funnel um, uh, efforts are connecting with consumers and driving awareness and what, how that even leads to sales. Uh, being able to tell that story in a precise manner uh, to others within the organization, I think, is important. Kavoy, we've come a long way in just a few short years. I, I have to say, you know, uh, it was a few years ago that I was authoring a guide around new technology and marketing platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember somebody saying to me, you know, Nadine, there isn't a really great way to measure at the top. So you just have to have faith and be able to have, you know, and I thought, okay, well that might not fly for everyone. Um, but, but you know, a few years ago, that's what we were dealing with. Right. Sure. sure. Um, completely agree. So, and, and, and you know this, but there are a number of brands out there that are still operating under the, under the whole faith mentality. Um, and, and while that's perhaps productive in some organizations, I believe that within my organization um, and then with how I grew up in the company, it's critical that I can create connectivity to, to how the dollars I'm spending connect back to the sales that we're making. Wow. Okay. So I need to invite you back to teach a class on top of the funnel ROI determination. How about that? I'm going to call yep. it that. Fair. There you go. Yep. All right. So that's an outstanding offer. Okay. And that brings us to the landscape of your emerging businesses, because that's all new territory now. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, most of it's new. Uh, uh, some of the businesses within this group have been with Nationwide for a few years. So Nationwide Bank, uh, Nationwide Pet Company, which is in essence, um, healthcare for pets for your dog or your cat. And we're the number one writer in, in that space, by the way. Uh, and then Nationwide Specialty Insurance, which is uh, disability insurance, um, various benefits, stop gap coverage, travel insurance, et cetera. So those are three niche businesses that have been within the nationwide portfolio for a few years, but we believe those businesses have opportunity for us to scale much more aggressively than we have been doing before. Uh, and the new area is innovation. Uh, like many organizations, we're recognizing the need for us to be very active from an innovation standpoint. And so for us, that started with us hiring our first chief innovation officer that we hired last summer. We hired an external person who I have now taught to spell insurance, uh, but that individual <laughs> brings to the table um, a wealth of experience in the venture startup IT area and really understands innovation well. Uh, so with him, we have laid out an innovation strategy, 
We've identified some very specific domains that we're going to focus on. We've launched a venture fund that we're uh, taking dollars to invest in startups and partnering with startups. Uh, so we're off to a pretty uh, good start from an innovation standpoint, but we're still in the early stages. Oh, exciting. Okay. Very cool. I can't wait to see what you do with all of that new opportunity and where you'll go next. So, okay. I have one last question for you. Okay. If you weren't in insurance, and this is going to be a hard one for you, because it sounds like you've you've been wanting to do this since you were five years old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if you weren't uh, in insurance and you weren't a CMO or president of emerging businesses and you could do anything in the world, what would you do? Oh, man. Wow. You know, um, this is probably going to be hard for you to believe, but I grew up the son of an elementary school teacher. And um, on my mom's side of the family, other than the aunt that I referenced before, a number of her family members were educators, were teachers. So many of them wanted me to get into teaching, to education. Um, so if, if I wasn't in this space, I probably would have gone down that path of being an educator. Um, starting in the classroom and maybe being a principal or a superintendent or whatever comes after that. Um, because I just believe strongly in, um, in education. And, you know, I view that as the gateway to uh, unlocking the key to whatever, you know, your, your aspirations hold. Uh, so education, a teacher of some sort is where I probably would be if I weren't in this category. Wow. Okay. That's really cool because um, after this podcast, I can think of like four or five classes that you should be teaching right now. So, (laughs) so we have a lot more to talk about in the future, Um, but Terrence, it's been a true pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed the time. And as I've mentioned before, you've done some really good work. So I'm actually just flattered and and honored to, to take part uh, in your CEO moves piece, because I think you're doing some really good work. Oh, well, thank you so much. It has been fun and exciting, and it gives me the great pleasure of talking to people like you. So thank you for being part of this. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 